you know, we need to learn uh, from other industries and there's always concepts which can be borrowed and there are a lot of innovation which happens at that intersect. And that opened our, uh, uh, you know, our journey with Shell. Welcome to Uptech Report. This is our Applied Tech series. Uptech Report is sponsored by TerraLeap. Learn how to leverage the power of video at terraleap.io. Today, I'm joined by my guest, Srikanth, who's based in Houston, Texas. He's the co-founder and chief customer officer at Flutura. Welcome, Sri. Good to have you on. Thank you, Alex. Uh, nice to meet you. Now, uh, understanding Flutura, industrial AI company, you're focused on yield, uptime, and net zero outcomes for the industrial uh, industry. This started, though, back in 2012, the three of you, um, you and Krishnan and Dara, co-founders, you actually had a start with a coffee, if I understand correctly, with Robert Patterson, uh, the CTO for Shell. Can you describe, like, take me back to that moment for the concept of this, where it began? Sure. You know, uh, Alex, I've been in the industry for almost uh, 25 years and uh, uh, have been in the data analytics uh, space and machine learning and uh, 2012, when we started, uh, you know, we decided we need to take uh, an adventure uh, on our own. Uh, and I th- I, we saw a lot of uh, possibilities when it comes to innovation and adoption uh, in, in uh, machine learning, right? And, you know, we used to write a lot of blogs and, and ideas for the industry. And uh, so one of the gentlemen from Houston, you know, picked up uh, one of the blogs and said, hey, you know what, Shell is interested uh, in hearing about your idea. Uh, would you like to, you know, come and uh, share your idea and, and thoughts with them? Now, and how, how did he come across your blog? Did, was he, um, you, were you just you know, already well known in the space? No, no. So we are, we are not Steve Jobs or, or you know, we don't have the background, right? Uh, so it, it was just uh, someone on LinkedIn, they picked up the uh, the thought paper which we had written uh, and then you know so then we decided you know we were deciding you know whether it should be me or Krishnan or Derek to to take this meeting uh, we didn't have any oil and gas experience uh, when we started the company um, so I was a little nervous you know meeting uh, and uh, with Shell you know what do I talk and how do I share this idea um, so then, you know, uh, so we decided it's going to be me who's going to take the uh, the beating from Shell. And I, I met uh, uh, Robert in Houston and uh, uh, it was a fantastic conversation I had. And, and uh, uh, people who know Robert would obviously know uh, he's, he's one of the best visionaries in the industry. Mm-hmm. And through that conversation, you know, the first disclaimer I, I uh, uh, told Robert is, you know, I have no idea about oil and gas. But he said... Uh, you know, we need to learn uh, uh, from other industries and there's always concepts which can be borrowed and there are a lot of innovation which happens at that intersect. And that opened our, uh, uh, you know, the, our journey with Shell. Um, and he shared a lot of problems which, which uh, the energy industry faces um, and especially, you know, they work on, you know, very mission critical uh, uh, facilities, right? And he said, Mother Earth, uh, you know, the, uh, it, it actually extracts the oil and gas, which is extracted from Mother Earth, uh, comes at 15,000 psi of pressure, which is mind-boggling. Um, you can't even imagine the pressure at which, you know, and, and look at 
how the you know we have designed systems uh, to manage that pressure and that's how it started then we you know we went on to on that journey we understood the market well uh, and sometimes people actually think that i'm actually from uh, i'm i'm an oil man um but it was all happened said because because of a cup of coffee now i'm wondering what was the paper on what, what was what was the blog post that that captured his interest so the blog post was around uh, uh you know how do you manage large volumes of data and uh, scientifically pick exceptions from the data uh, to influence business outcomes so we had written a thought paper in terms of how do you even uh, think about managing and and in a structured way use data for um, influencing better outcomes that's how it was and and it was came from from your previous experience of of, of in this right. space and then it, that just uh, happenstance or or just a meeting of minds that he comes across and says wow we're in that same or we need to be thinking about this and it was probably that's a nice question alex in fact uh, uh, krishnan derek and me were part of a company called mindtree and uh, our last uh, stint at mindtree was uh, we were part of the team which uh, built uh, aadhar platform which is basically the the citizen repository for the government of india so you can imagine a billion population and uh, it's like the ssn uh, in us but imagine an ssn platform in india uh, for a billion citizens uh, so it's it's a massive ecosystem where uh, so that's where we got exposed to very complex systems very large volumes of data and you can imagine the possibilities around around this that's and been then, our exposure and then that's where you you didn't come from a background of of oil and gas and, and energy but the 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 underlying challenge of what do you do with lots of data and using machine learning that's what you're translating right. across now going forward from here um your first year if i understood correctly was still a year of discovery and a lot of discussions with engineers in in the oil and and, and industrial space right already from that point yes so uh, one of the good things we did alex is uh, we were open to learning uh, we didn't uh, one good thing about the three of us is uh, uh we don't have a strong bias towards certain solutions or certain uh, aspects because in this field a lot of things are evolving and you have to learn every day and that's exactly what we did so you know we met people robert had introduced us to uh, some of his colleagues and we actually you know started to grow our network uh, within houston uh, and it and it's mind bog i don't know whether you have visited houston uh, it, you know a, a city which i think it's it has the densest population of fortune 500 companies in the world uh so it's much easier right as a startup you don't have too much money so you know there's no travel expense so you just be in houston and you know just talk about visiting every road one step at a time and visiting all the companies you see that that's you know literally we did that you know we drove around houston and and picked which are the companies we need to be speaking to Seriously, you you drive around and you say, "Oh, there's a company. There's a company. We'll just start knocking on doors." That's how it yeah. happened. Yeah, that's how we learned the ecosystem. And uh, uh, yeah, the first six months was a lot of intense learning. And I think that that's the one which we learned a lot in terms of the various industry problems. And thereon, it was uh, it boiled down to which one do we pick and solve. How, how did you get those conversations when you just walk in and say, "I'd love to talk to your engineers here and and see what kind of challenges you have and 
You started that yeah. way? I think mostly uh, referrals really help. Uh, mm-hmm. You make friends and, and uh, you build a trust and you don't try to sell anything. Or So the first thing was, you know, we used to go and say, we are not here to sell, we are here to learn. And uh, the other aspect is, you know, many of the companies would also want to learn from other companies, right? I think that's the biggest human motivation. Uh, what is my competitor doing? You know, that, that question. So you use that as one of the core aspects saying that, you know, I've learned uh, from some of your competitors in the industry, love to share thoughts, exchange ideas. And, and that's how it, uh, it worked. <laughs> this, People do. Uh, and, and, you know, you will be surprised, Alex, if uh, very of, often we do uh, have our own biases where we think that people don't help. Uh, but if you're genuine and, and you say that that's your intent and you seek help, you know, you'll get it in many ways. If you think of the last nine, 10 years since, since, since you started, uh, one of the, the, the highlights and that, that, that was maybe one of the best moments or times so far that, that really shown out for you, what comes to your mind? Highlights, I think, uh, when we started the company, uh, uh, in fact, we didn't have a name for the company. So we actually, uh, so as soon as we decided to start a company, uh, it, uh, you know, it was natural to us saying, you know, it has to be something to do with the transformation, uh, which we see in nature, right? From a butterfly, from a caterpillar to a butterfly. So we said, you know, it has to be around trust and transformation. And it took us really a long time, six months to uh, give a name to the company. And uh, by the time, you know, we didn't stop focusing on meeting customers and so on. And, and uh, you know, one of those days we landed in a, in a situation where we had a contract on hand, but we didn't have a name of the name for the company to sign the contract against. And, uh, you know, we were forced to choose a name in two days. You know, we put it on Facebook and, you know, requested our friends to, uh, you know, share ideas and, and, you know, Fluchura name was actually came from one of those Facebook <laughs> surveys we did. That's and awesome. uh, that was a very memorable event for me. Uh, second thing is obviously meeting Robert Patterson was definitely the, the inflection point, I would say. Yeah. If we had not met uh, uh, a visionary like him, it would have been difficult for us. Uh, it would have taken longer time to, uh, to go in the right direction, right? Mm-hmm. Not a lot and, of startups can 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 uh, have that same type of initial experience to kick off their 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 company. That's right, and you know the same journey. Uh, you know, we used to write a lot on LinkedIn and and, uh, and some of the blogs, and through that again, uh, our first investor uh, um, also reached out to us. He was also our ex customer, former customer of ours. Uh, he said, "You know, you are doing something interesting. Can I invest?" Uh, and then our first investor, Hive, who are based in Palo Alto, and uh, they also have a franchise in, in Mumbai. Uh, they came and said, uh, you know, your company looks interesting. Can we invest? So the I think the first struggle in terms of raising money was, uh, was not that difficult for us. Uh, thankfully, if I reflect back, I think we are blessed uh, to, to have some of this. But I think there are ways in which you can, um, you know, if, if, if the ideas are worth it, I'm sure there are people who would, definitely want to invest. I feel like the, the mix of success here comes from 
you had some good ideas. Obviously, if you didn't write good content, people wouldn't be wouldn't care. But it's a mix of, of writing good ideas, getting it out there, and then having the network that at least someone who knows someone is sharing that yes. content and and being able to get that initial uh, buzz. Going. That's right. And obviously, winning Shell as a customer, we won. Uh, I think the the second, uh, the third uh, important milestone was the, our first investor. It's always a sweet one. Um, and uh, the next inflection point is is was basically winning Shell as an account. Um, we won against fourteen companies, uh, very large ones, and you know the custom. In fact, uh, uh, our customer Scott Blankard. He was also part of, uh, he was the person who gave us the opportunity to, to work with him. And uh, in fact, last week, we also signed him as our uh, strategic advisor. Uh, he retired from Shell and now he's part of the advisory board. And uh, I asked him, you know, why did you give us that opportunity to work with you? Uh, so one of the things he said is, you know, he has met many companies in our space, in the industrial AI and industrial IoT space. Uh, he Obviously, you can imagine the amount the number of companies who would want to, who aspire to have Shell as their customer. Uh, he said, you know, we were the only company which did not try to sell licenses to him, uh, but to actually really cared about the business problem we wanted to solve for him. Uh, that's the feedback. And that's what I learned from him. Um, Interesting. It's always good to ask your customers uh, who have given you an opportunity to ask why they chose you and your biggest differentiators would actually come from there. That is a powerful insight right from there that how yep. you talked and how your conversation was led, it was not focused on now, would you like to get a license here for this? It was just, let's focus on the problem and and help find a solution. That's right. That's right. We empathize with his pain and problem mm-hmm. and we continue to do that. Now, speaking of, of the pain itself, you we mentioned the beginning, your focus on industrial, uh, industrial by using AI there, but uh, helping with yield, uptime, and net zero outcomes. I imagine, yes, uptime is key, and that's what you've been focusing on, but uh, kind of landing on the last one, net zero outcomes um, in green is, is obviously always been a topic, but it's not decreasing, it's only increasing. How, how is it over the time? Has it always been all three of those, or has, has it kind of changed and morphed of, of the importance and priority that's put on one of those pieces? Yeah, uh, the first one was uh, the net zero. We we basically added it in the last uh, six months. Um, it was it, it is, uh, but we are and the primary reason is uh, going back, tying back to the uh, the customer pains and the problems which which is relevant to be solved. Um, and I, I don't know, Alex. The last four weeks, in fact, has been even more dramatic when it uh, uh, when you see the focus uh, in terms of net zero right from the investor ecosystem in terms of uh, uh, how the overall allocation of funds uh, globally is going to happen. You know, big investors like BlackRock, for example, clearly have stated their intent, uh, saying that, you know, they would, their primary, so they would be investing in companies who are really focusing on sustainability as one of the core rivers. Otherwise, they, you know, companies don't get investments. Uh, so it's like from investors first, already yeah. saying we're not going to invest unless you, this is a priority. Absolutely. I think the, the next uh, thing which would happen is I can see governments becoming more, I think the citizen movement is going to become more, or um, I think many companies really have to take that seriously. Uh, 
And the third is obviously, I think there are a couple of things. I think mobile, if you look at all the industries globally, I think the transportation and mobility space is the one which is dramatically going to change. And uh, if you look at the overall emissions, uh, transportation contributes to almost 20% of the emissions. And if you look at electric vehicles, look at the trends. I look at how it's going to change our lives. You know, you and me would be traveling in different ways in the next 10 years, uh, guaranteed. And that is going to drive uh, how the other industries, it's going to have a cascading effect in terms of uh, how other industries would, would be aligned. And especially the energy industry, the, so the demand comes down, energy companies will have to start looking at different. So clearly net zero is- transportation. Yeah, I think it's going to affect every single industry and it gives us a good adjacency to scale uh, for Flutura in the future. It has been, I remember in some several conversations with the focus of uh, um, electric vehicles or other types of uh, uh, movements that, okay, now not as much gas and other types of, of use. So that is going to, as you mentioned, a ripple effect. Um, how have you seen then um, energy companies, are they already planning for that? Are they already like looking at things differently? It is, you know, uh, you'd be surprised to know every conversation of mine, customers are asking, hey, have you guys done anything on net zero? Uh, and I'm not saying it, uh, I'm experiencing it day in, uh, day out. Last four weeks especially have been uh, dramatic in terms of these conversations, yes. They're, they're, uh, they are, they are invest, for, for example, they are looking at solutions where I think the, the first step is, to, and there is an urgency to it, uh, Alex. That's what I'm seeing. Uh, there's a lot of urgency. Just today, if you look at it, most of the companies have to file their uh, emission uh, reports and ESG compliance reports once a year. And that is not going to help because at the end of the day, when when it's, it's, not, it's not mere reporting or uh, uh, complying to regulatory requirements. They have to take some serious actions where, uh, the emissions are really brought down. That means that infrastructure changes has to happen. Uh, solutions where they get visibility into where emissions are happening. Uh, and also in terms of predicting, you know, if there's any issue in the plants, uh, which is leading to emissions. Um, so I think they are looking at solutions um, overall um, across the ecosystem. That recent um, uh, Shell um court ruling that you, the focus on, as you mentioned, government <laughs> is coming from one side, investors from another. Um, your angle at looking at this is, okay, how can we use technology to help uh, facilitate that outcome? Um, where does technology co really come into play then uh, versus simply just changing the, the processes and et cetera? Is it just managing and knowing what uh, is going on? Is it just more visibility that technology allows? Multiple things. Um, one is uh, you need to understand the source of emissions, right? The first, that's, you know, before you even try to fix things, you want to know where things are have, uh, gone. Or, or I wouldn't say going wrong, but it's more of uh, which sources of emissions do they have to plug within their facilities? And the second thing is, uh, so I don't know whether you've read about it. So broadly, uh, there are, scope one, scope two, and scope three emissions, which every company has to think about. Scope one is their own contribution to the emission, which they need to cut down. The second one is more to do with 
their dependency on other companies, like you know, they might be purchasing electricity or they may be purchasing water. So that means that how do you reduce the consumption of some of those uh, uh, aspects into their business and hence reducing the scope too. Scope three is overall as a company, how does the product which they, which they, uh, which they produce, which gets consumed by you and me, how is that affecting the emission? So broadly, if you look at it, companies have to address all these three dimensions. Uh, you can imagine, for example, let's say you produce uh, uh, tomato sauce, for example, for a lack of a better example. Um, so that means that you would, you would buy tomatoes and to grow a tomato, a farmer uses chemicals. So the chemical gets manufactured somewhere. So you can imagine the supply chain of, of the cause and effect relationship, which a single company has on the environment. Mm. Uh, so you can imagine a lot of calculation. So it's, it becomes a data-driven business. So you need to measure and then it becomes a data business. Uh, it, it becomes a data-centric problem. And once you measure, then you'll actually look at what are the strategies to cut down those emissions. Uh, you know, you could you need to make investments in new sensor technologies. You need to install carbon capture. Especially, uh, there are companies which are actually coming up with uh, new machinery to uh, capture the carbon or emissions in in their facility to dispose it in the in in the right way. And then, finally, also looking at the overall, how are they doing on the overall twenty fifty net zero outcomes? That. It becomes right a data-driven business, Alex. Yeah, it's like knowing the data in each of those three pieces, those those three phases. You say there's no way one could wrap your head around <laughs> the, how, where all that con comes in, and that's where you do need to use algorithms and, and machine learning to be able to find that. Yeah, yeah, it's going. It's it's going to be. It's not going to be easy. I, I can say that it is going to be a complex implementation, and there's also an urgency. The the thing about Using machine learning though is it's like it's it's hot to talk about, but not as easy to implement. Like like to, for for general engineers, for instance, like for them to be able to suddenly become data science experts. I mean, is that the expectation? Oh, that's a super question, Alex. And uh, if you look at it, in fact, yesterday I was having a conversation with a, a computational fluid dynamics expert uh, in Houston. Uh, so imagine a very large network, uh, let's say a water network, right? Um, so they have, so, you know, for example, from a, a water treatment facility to, for that water to reach your home, uh, there are a lot of things which happens in between, isn't it? So there are a lot of networks which just pass. Uh, there are treatment facilities. Uh, there, are, uh, there are pumps which actually uh, help in, delivering the requisite pressure at your home. Um, you have valves. Um, so you can imagine the complex. You might have certain heaters where you want to control the temperature of water, especially in colder regions. Uh, and on the network, you can imagine thousands of assets or equipments. It can fail anytime. Um, and let's say, you know, uh, a data scientist uh, wants to solve a problem in terms of, so let's say, you know, this section of the network is going to come down. How is it going to affect the overall pressure uh, on the overall network? 
you know, do we need to make any changes on the compressor? So it's going to be humanly impossible for data scientists to solve this problem. And, and, and that's why I'm giving a very simple problem, which you and I can relate to. Uh, but these problems have to be solved by uh, experts. Uh, and, and, and it's very critical that uh, these experts have to uh, learn data science. There's no way uh, uh, some of these facilities are going to be managed uh, without uh, the core engineers behind these operations uh, also leveraging data science for their um, operations. Otherwise, you know, in fact, I can't name the customer, but I was having a conversation where uh, this customer was is managing a gas network. He was uh, he was doing capacity planning for the network in terms of hey, you know what? Uh, uh, there's a new city uh, which needs to be uh, serviced. Um, by through our network. So there's a new city where all the homes in that city have to be delivered, you know, the gas has to be delivered. So what are the investments I need to be making in order to do that? You know, uh, he was saying, you know, it's so complex, Shrikant. Uh, I, you know, it's humanly impossible for someone to say this molecule is going to travel across this network and reach Alex's home. It cannot, you know, it's, it's gas, it's liquid, you know, the I don't think there's any technology in the world which actually can track every molecule of uh, uh, things which, which goes around on the network. I need, you know, he was saying I need tools uh, to help me the, the cause and effect relationship on such a complex problem. Uh, physics cannot solve it, unfortunately. There are tools which are there. And he was showing me examples of the inaccuracy which exists because of the sheer complexity. You, know, you need to consider the ambient conditions. You need to consider the complexity, the, the interrelationship between these equipments. Uh, so there are. So what I'm experiencing, Alex, is there are certain problems where data science is the only way to solve it. And you know, people uh, who are experts have to be empowered. There's no way out. So your your focus in um, for Flutura is is to basically empower the, these engineers to become data yes. scientists, to be able to, to, to make it easier for them? Yes, yes. Um, you know, th some of these higher order problems, um, um, there's no way uh, these experts cannot be kept out of the loop. So um, in fact, we, were, we are working with the refinery where, uh, you know, coming back to the net zero problem, right? So they are seeing that the refinery is consuming more fuel uh, in the last three years, you know, suddenly they have seen the, the fuel which they use for their furnace uh, in, in the refineries is uh, eating away a lot of gas. That means their expenses are going up. Uh, that means that your scope to exposure on emissions is going up. That means you're buying more gas. So that means that, again, it has an impact on your carbon footprint. Uh, and because of this, we, we are now helping them to figure out where exactly the problem is. So they have a heat exchanger train. So, you know, many of the, uh, the energy which is used is also recycled within the plant so that you use, you know, you can buy less amount of fuel to, to support those operations. Uh, if, so that means that the, those recycling systems uh, which harness the energy which you already generate and use it back into your operations. So those, there are certain inefficiencies which are happening. But just imagine, you know, someone, uh, at least I, uh, I, uh, I don't have, I'm not an expert on, on heat exchangers. Um, it has to be an expert 
on heat exchangers. But if you want to answer the questions which I'm asking, you need to know data science. And hence, you know, we are, we are uh, our entire product suite, uh, Cerebra, which we call it, uh, we are, every day we spend a lot of effort in terms of how to simplify an engineer's life uh, so that, you know, these complex operations can be managed. This, you painted a, a picture of, of the need for both um, the concept of, of, yes, yield and uptime, but this net zero comes from, from investors through governance to focus on it. But it's such a large problem and only really data science and machine learning will can play a role here. And now it's really a future where engineers, you're going to have, I think, what word you use, data, uh, citizen data scientists, and then just more and more are going to be able to say, all right, we need to understand how to use this and have the right tools to make it, ha- uh, make it happen. And I, f- I feel like I remember you mentioning your, your goal. What's your, what's your goal for 2024? Is that what it is? So we want to deliver a billion dollars of business outcomes to our customers. Uh, secondly, uh, also empower 100,000 data science, uh, industrial data scientists um, by 2024. Wow, that's that's only three years away. That's, that's only coming three years up quick. So we are working a lot in terms of uh, a partner ecosystem channels uh, to to scale effectively. I love the the goal though. It, it sets the vision and, and where you guys are headed. Thank you so much, uh, Sri, for for sharing the the journey that you have been on from from that first initial coffee, um, and and the the mission that you're on and the goal that you're headed towards. For those uh, that want to learn more, you can head over to their website. That is Flutura, correct? Flutura.com. That's F-L-U-T-U-R-A.com to be able to explore it. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you, Alex. Pleasure. We'll We'll see you all on the next episode of Uptech Report. Have you seen a company using AI, machine learning, or other technology to transform the way we live, work, and do business? Go to uptechreport.com and let us know. Thank you.